morning. It's uh, good to see so many of you here this morning, uh, all those smiling faces on this snowy day. I love this winter weather. It's great. Uh, if you're listening online with us, we're glad that you're doing that, taking some time uh, out of your uh, schedule to spend some time just putting the word into, into your heart. And, uh, and so we're glad that you're uh, listening as well. Um, so today, you know, I was, I was a little hesitant actually to share uh, about uh, this today. I told them last night, I don't usually practice on the Saturday night crowd, but last night I felt a little bit like that. Like if it went really, really bad, I was, I was going to write a whole new message for this morning. <laughs> uh, and, and I still, I have this, this little bit of trepidation, a little bit of uh, just you, that uh, feeling, because you just never know how things are going to go. And, uh, and I know that, you know, as we sang that song, as were the words of the scripture that John put up, they were not motivated by fear we're simply motivated by love. And so I want to chat about something that's been on my heart for a couple of weeks and uh, just feel that, I, you know, I want to share that with you guys this morning. I want to, you know, if you look in the news um, right now, you see a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, writing, a lot of chatter about this word called rights. This word called rights. And I just want to simply, uh, I guess the t- if there's, a, if there's a, a title, it's like when rights go wrong. Uh, the, the idea of what are, what are our rights all about? You, you read about it, human rights. And then there's people who are uh, um, for women's rights or, or for gay rights or civil rights or equal rights. You see in Hollywood wanting the same amount of pay. And what we found is that some of the rights are in opposition to each other. You know, there's the rights of the refugees versus the rights of safe citizenship. There's the right to life on one side and the right to choose on the other. There's the right of free speech versus the right, of, the right to remain silent. And that's kind of the right I felt like, you know, maybe I should choose today, uh, but then we'd be done by now, right? So uh, as, I, as we chat a little bit about that, we realize many have fought really hard for those rights. I mean, there's even a song, you got to fight for your right to can't believe you guys know that, right? Uh, you, you know, there's a lot of fighting that's going on for those rights. And, and you know, in one sense, I want to honor that. But I, I believe that part of the, part of, uh, the reason why I want to talk about it is that that fight for has changed. And so some of you are like, why are we talking about this in church? Mark, don't you, don't you realize, you know, the separation of church and state? You know, we don't talk about that. And around work, there's two things you never talk about. Anybody know what they are? Religion and politics. You know that too, right? So you're like, what? We're going to talk about both, uh, and this morning I know that puts me in a little bit of a, of a tough spot, and so let me just tell you what I'm planned to do today and what I'm not going to do. My plan is to gently wade into this area, this sometimes hostile environment, and realizing that the opportunity for me to even share this with you is a gift. That's a, an opportunity I don't want to take for granted. I'm going to do my best today not to tell you what I feel and not to tell you which side I'm on. I simply want to give you an opportunity to allow Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us in our hearts for the next step that he desires for us to do. And hopefully it goes that way. You know, as I think about it, I don't know for you, but do you ever ever realize that there's a little bit of like self in me? Not in me, but like in you, right? Do you ever realize there's a little bit of selfishness? Anybody want to say, yeah, every once in a while I can be a little bit selfish. I think about me more than I think about others. I, I think uh, uh, about how, you know, decisions that I make, I'm in the back of my mind thinking about how it affects me. It's not always, you know, what's the right thing or what's the best thing. How does it affect me? How, how many of you have ever lied to keep your life comfortable? You know, your wife asks you a question, you're like, oh, there's the truth and then there's the rest of my life, you know? Uh, 
We will we'll do that stuff. Why? Because there's a bit of selfishness in all of us. There, there, if we're honest, there's a little bit of it in every one of us. If some of us are really honest, there's a lot of it in us. You know, there's times in my life where I realize, man, there's, there's just a lot of selfishness in me. It's about my comfort. It's about my rights. It's about me wanting other people to think like me. I want to be right. You know, it's, uh, as people are on their journey looking for, you know, towards marriage, who do they look for, Mr. Mr. Right, right? That's what, that's what happens. But then once you realize, women, you'll find this out pretty quickly. The longer you look for Mr. Right, the realize he just isn't there. And so many of them settle for Mr. Right now. And then later on, <laughs> that, that guy turns into Mr. Always Right. And then you're like, what did I do? Right? It's, it's uh, you know, one of the things that, that we uh, talk about sometimes with our, with our, with our um, pre-marriage classes, you know, this idea of being right or being happy, and we know it's not the men who are always right. We, there's even a sign we saw in a bathroom here, men to the left because women are always right. You know, as we share with our pre-marriage classes, we often ask them, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because those things are often contrary to each other, and you can be right but, and, and, you know, you can be right and think you're happy, but I can promise you, if you're right all the time, she's not going to like you very much. And if you're right all the time for too long, you'll be happy, but with half your stuff, because she's going to leave and, and take it. But there's something in us that wants to be right, even if it would affect us in ways like that. You know, there's three words that we love to hear someone else say. You were Right. It never happens to me. So rarely that when it does, I just ask them to repeat it. You know, Beth, can you say it one more time? <laughs> you were right. What is that? I'm, we're not saying that today. It's like, here's what everyone should aspire to, right? We're not, we're not, I'm not putting that up there. It's like, this is what we all want to be. But there's a part of you look at that and you're like, Mark, you're a jerk about you think like that, right? And there's a little bit of, of that part of us that that's not really what we want. And yet there's that side of us. That just desires that and lives that out. And oftentimes when we say, you know, I'm right means someone else is wrong. And this is why I want to talk about it today. Because in that idea of um, fighting for our rights or to be right or that I'm right, we often unnecessarily put wedges into the relationships in our lives that draw people and push people apart simply for this idea of being right. Um, this last couple of weeks, just had a chance to experience it in a really interesting way. Uh, a few weeks ago, be, well, just before Christmas, we actually had a, a couple Mormon girls showed up at our at our door, and they knocked on the door, and Beth answered the door, and they said, hey, you know, we, would there be a time that we could come back and share, you know, a message of hope with you? And she's like, well, what are you doing right now? And they're like, we're freezing in the cold, you know? And she's like, well, hey, why don't you come in? Let me go ask my husband, but, you know, why don't you come in? And so they're, they're kind of looking shocked. She leaves them at the door. She comes down to my office. She's like, there's a couple Mormon girls here. We want to invite them in. And, and, uh, and I'm like, I'm working. And she's like, but you never know. It could be one of those moments. Maybe the Lord sent them here. And so, so she's, we're like, yeah, okay. So we go upstairs, and, and we invite them in. And just had a really great conversation with these two teen girls who've gone, uh, um, they're from Utah, but they moved up to Simcoe. And, you know, it's like big city to Simcoe, right? And uh, if you're from Simcoe, I know it's like, like, that's just such a small town. But they said at least it wasn't Delhi. They had been there, and it was like, it's a little sketchy in, in Delhi. But um, as they came into our house, we sat and we chatted with them, and they, they've, they've come to give two years of their life just to tell people about Jesus. And, uh, and so we, we began chatting across our, our kitchen table, and, and afterwards, as they were about to leave, they were, they were like, hey, can, you know, can we, pray? and I was like, can I pray for you? And they're like looking at me like, what? 
they had no idea whose house they came into. You know, they, uh, they're like, uh, yeah, you can pray with us. And so we pray with them as, they, as they're about to leave. And they're like, so, so what do you do, actually? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh. <laughs> so later on, they texted me and asked if they could come back. They came back, and, and, and they realized they were coming to the home of a pastor, so they brought some help the next time. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it, was, it was an incredible experience. We sat there with three of these women, and just we just began to chat and share. And they asked, you have questions? I'm like, yeah, I got questions. We began to ask them, you know, about Jesus and how he affects their life. And we had a great conversation. And, and so then they left, and they're like, can, can we come back again? I'm like, sure you can. I found out they don't love having doors slammed in their faces. So when there's an open door, they like to come back there. And so they, they came back to our house again this past week. And as we sat there, we chatted for, we planned a one-hour appointment. Two and a half hours later, we're sitting there, and we're, we're just chatting, and uh, she, they said two things that just really struck me this week. One was the one, the, the new one who came in. She says, you know, when I came with them last week, or last time, I was, a, I was a little bit scared, and I was like, why? She's like, well, they told me we're going to a pastor's house, and I was like, what did you expect that was going to be like? What did you think it was going to be like? Just can you tell me? Yeah, like, did you think I was going to have my robes on and my little, like, lapel and be, like, making cross symbols? Every- and she's like, no, to be honest, I thought that coming here was going to be hostile. And I said, why? And she's like, because that seems to be the way it always is. I was like, that is unfortunate. And as they began, as we chatted and as we prayed with them, as they left, the girl said, you know what? We, may, we don't know when we get transferred or whatever, but she said, you know what? Your family, I will remember you guys for the rest of my life for how you've treated me. And I thought, we don't believe the same as them. The second time they came back, I almost screwed it all up because I just wanted to be right. I'm a pastor. I should win this. You know, there's a couple of teenagers. I should, be able to, I should be able to prove them that I'm right. <laughs> right? Like they, they said, too, when as missionaries, you were only allowed to refer to them by their last name. And I'm like, who tells me how I'm supposed to address you? You have a real name, you know? I'm thinking, fine, I'll address you by your last name, but you can call me Mr. President. You know, if <laughs> it's funny, but it's ugly, isn't it? You don't have to agree with me. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit of ugliness in there, right? And I'm like, what is that? And it almost, almost affected something. You know what? thing that, that gets me, and here's why I want to talk about today, is that a lot of this idea of wanting to be right results in unnecessary division. It results in this unnecessary breaking of relationships and forcing people apart. You look on Facebook, you look on Twitter, it's Trump this versus Trump that. We love Trump versus Trump's the devil. Trump's God's instrument versus Trump is, the, you know, Satan incarnate, the Antichrist. And, 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 you know, it's weird because I don't know why we're so obsessed with American politics. We were sitting around our, our table with the pastors this week and they said, you know, it's like, it's like we're so American-minded, we're no Canadian good. And I was like, hmm, it's interesting. But I realized they're way more entertaining than us. You know, theirs is just just. Way more entertaining, but we have it here too. Liberal this, conservative that. We've got Trudeau this, Kathleen Wynne that. You know, we got the child. It's all about the child. Well, it's just a fetus. You know, we got the refugee. Well, we got the safety of citizens. And the thing that concerned me most as I looked down the Facebook feeds is that the names on there were Christian versus Christian, brother versus brother, sister versus sister, with incredible passion for what they believe so strongly in on these two different sides that they would use scriptures against one another digging them out of the bible to use as a weapon well god is on our side don't you see in the bible it says this and this and this well god is on our side this this and this and as, as i read i uh, read an interesting quote from um from abe lincoln that said this sir my concern 
We'll post it up there for you. Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on His side. For God is always right. And I wonder, you know, what is our response and what is his side? And I, I wanted to just share some of the stuff that's been going on in my life. Here's how it's affecting me, and that's how I just want to share it with you this morning. What should or could our response be? As we've been studying Acts, if you've been here on Monday nights, we've been going through the book of Acts. And we just recently went through Acts chapter 16. So some have asked if, you know, that I talk really fast and that I give the scriptures too fast and you don't have time to find them. So I'm going to give you a chance to look for Acts chapter 16 for a minute. And we'll get there. And as well, if you'd find Philippians chapter 1, that's where we're going to go next. So Luke is writing the book of Acts. It's his travel journal that he's writing. And he writes this story about Paul and his companions. And they arrive in this place called Philippi. And so Philippi is a real place. It looks like this right now. This right now. Uh, and, but it's a, it was a mega city in its day. A real place, modern day Turkey. And as Paul was there, he had led a few people to the Lord. And they would meet every day for prayer. And as they would gather for prayer, all of a sudden one day this little girl began to follow them. And she was a fortune teller who was following them and saying, these men come to tell the good news of, uh, of God. These men come to tell the good news of God. And for days she would do this. And Paul finally just gets so frustrated. He looks at her and realizes it's a demon. Just cast the demon out of her and we're good, right? The problem is that there were some men who were making a lot of money off of this girl. As she would share fortunes, they would charge people for that. And they were upset. And so they grabbed Paul, realizing that they weren't going to make any more money from this girl, and they, they had a problem with that. So they dragged Paul before the authorities, and they said this, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Well, not true. They just troubled a few guys. You know, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Again, not true. But you know what happened as they made these claims? The multitude rose up. And we see that very often. Where a claim is made, all of a sudden, there's a multitude that gathers around. Let's march for that. You know, it's like, it, as, they, as the mob mentality, as the multitude rises up, they get them to the place where they have Paul and, and Silas, they have them stripped down, they have them beaten with rods, and they have them tossed in prison before they even know what's happening. And then they tell the jailer, keep these men, if they escape, it's your life for theirs. And so that jailer was worried, and he put them, he says they put their legs in the stocks. And so if you wonder what stocks are, it's like this. So here they, here they sit with their legs in the stocks already uncomfortable. You know, as you read the rest of Acts chapter 16, you'll find out something really interesting. You'll find out that Paul was a Roman citizen who had Roman rights. Roman rights, rights to a legal fair trial if he was accused of anything. Didn't have that. They're not allowed to be beaten in public, which was what happened. They're not allowed to be thrown into prison if they're uncondemned. All of that happened. And here we wonder, Paul, Paul, you're... <laughs> Your rights are being violated. How come you didn't stand up for yourself? And here's, we find a really interesting response to the story. Acts chapter 16. You know, as Paul and Silas are sitting in a jail cell, they've been beaten. They're sitting in a pool of their own blood. It says this, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They weren't at the door yelling at the jailer, hey, this is against my rights. Let me out of here. You know, we're right. They're wrong. Let me out. They weren't praying to God, God, how could you let this happen to us? We're followers of you. We shouldn't be in this place. Smote them, God. Do something. They didn't. What would we be doing, I wonder? And I wonder, you know, as we think about this, you know, Paul, it says at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing 
and uh, hymns to God. And I know some of you think that you can take that and say, see, we're supposed to sing hymns in church. That's completely out of context. You know, but it says they're, they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, it says this, powerful thought. The prisoners, the other prisoners were listening to them. See, I, I believe that around us, there's a lot of people watching you. There's a lot of people listening to you, to the way that we address certain issues. There's people watching. What are they, what, what, what are they saying? What are they doing? Paul and Silas said, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to sing hymns to our God. In verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. I love this part. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And in case you didn't know if that was God or not, it says immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came off. Man, isn't it powerful when prisoners get set free? I, it's a whole different message, but Paul and Silas's response helps set everyone free around them. It affected everybody else around them. And it says, the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep, he sees that the prison doors are open. He supposes that the prisoners have all fled because that's what they should have done. He draws his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Again, how crazy is it that Paul and Silas' actions affected these prisoners, at least to the point where they didn't flee? They said, I don't know about these guys, but we're staying with them. The jailer wants to kill himself, and Paul says, we're all here, don't. So then he called for a light, didn't believe, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We don't see this kind of activity anywhere, sirs, what... There's something about you guys that I need. When's the last time somebody asked you that question? Sir or ma'am, what must I do to be saved? You know, and then Paul said to them, so he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have this question, what must I do? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, you and your household. And it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They shared the good news, the gospel with his whole family. And that man took them that same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes. Immediately he and his family were baptized, and then now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Do you realize that Paul and Silas, all of their rights uh, that they could have fought for actually end up being covered later as, as they shared the good news? Paul's response to his, being, uh, his rights being violated led to the eternal salvation of a whole family. And who knows how much further that went. Who knows what effect it had on the prisoners who were watching. My question is, how could he respond like that? And why did he respond like that? And we don't really get the answers in that story. But ten years later, Paul writes a letter. These Philippian people had sent him a gift and he's so thankful for that gift that he begins to write this letter back to them. And he sends this letter back to them. And it's called the, the letter of Philippians or the letter to the Philippians. And we see some interesting thoughts in there about what Paul's life was like and why he would respond in that way. Rather than fighting for his rights or to be right, his response to it and what it was all about. And here's, here's what we learn. As Paul writes them before, we're going to read from verse 27 in a minute. But Paul, he was, there's something we realize about him. He writes them. He says, you know what, guys? I, I'm really torn. I'm really torn by two things. He says, I so badly just want to leave this body and go to heaven and be with Jesus. I said, it's just his passion for me. He's in house arrest as he's writing this from Rome. He's not allowed, his, 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 again, he's under someone else's uh, authority and rule. He says, I just, I just want to go be a Jesus. He says, there's another side of me that's torn. 
He says, you know, I realize that if I, as long as I'm here, I can be an encouragement to you and your faith. And so he's like, I, whatever the Lord has for me, he says, I know. But he says, this is what I would want, and, and this, is what, this is what I'm willing to do. Do you realize that Paul was living for eternity? You know, we realize that Paul's whole life was living with eternity in mind. That what was, what was to come was much more important than what was happening right now. And for so many of us, we get so stuck on what's happening right now that i got to be right, right now. We don't realize how it affects the rest of eternity, that it's not all about here. Francis Chan shares an interesting illustration. I wanted to share it with you this morning. Um, he uses a, a, a rope, and if you can find it online, maybe you've seen it before. It's, a, it's an incredible illustration. But I just want you to take a, take a look at this cord and picture this cord as, the, as uh, the timeline of your life. And just picture that this cord goes on forever. It doesn't. It ends right here. But just picture in your minds that this cord goes on forever. As he begins to share that, just picture that this little part right here at the end, this little white part is your life. A friend of mine shared this, I believe, with the Bible study this week. That there's this little part that reflects your life. And so many of us are living for all the decisions that matter right here. You know, some are like, I'm trying to make as much money as I can in this because I really want to enjoy that tiny little piece right there. I really want to be happy right in those last couple glory years. And we live our lives making decisions for that. We live our lives saying, how is this going to affect me? How is my comfort here going to be affected? It's all about how everything affects me, 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 and here. And we make all these decisions here when we don't realize that this is our life here. And this is the, it's our real life. Millions and millions and millions of years. How the decisions that we make in this little piece of white part affect eternity. Like, you know, we don't often think about that because we don't really often have a lot of people reminding us that our life is like a vapor, that our life is temporary, that what we do here matters. It's not about here. It's not about my comfort or whether I'm right or any of that stuff. It, it's not about that. How does what I do here are going to affect the millions of years for me, even more powerfully, how is it going to affect the millions of years for others around me? And we live our lives stuck in this little spot. They tell Francis Chan, they said, Francis, you're stupid. The decisions you make with your money, you know, they're just going to leave you just kind of, you know, with just, just enough, you know, as you live through here. And he's like, you're the ones who are stupid. He says, you're the ones who are making decisions that only affect here and for the rest of eternity. You'll live with the regret of the decisions you made. See, we don't often hear people remind us of that, but what we do often hear is everyone else around us telling us it's all about here, it's all about here, it's all about, it's all about you, it's all about how it affects you, it's all about being right, and we live that we're born with that. But Paul writes to them this, Philippians 1.27, above all, he says, you must live as citizens of heaven. He doesn't write to them, hey, you know what, make sure you realize you guys are Roman citizens of Philippi, don't let anybody change that. He says, you're a citizen of heaven. He reminds them that our lives, and he reminds them later in the letter, that our lives are not really about here. It's about eternity. Do we live that way? You know, we have different rights as citizens of heaven than we have as rights being Canadian. We'll talk about that maybe next week. Paul, he was living his life for eternity, but Paul was also living for the purpose of the gospel. His life's purpose was the gospel. He says, he says to them, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Live your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit, with one purpose. You're fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Do you realize the gospel is the only thing that affects eternity? <laughs> it's the one thing to live for. 
the one thing to live for, the good news of how it affects our lives and the good news of how it affects others' lives is really the only thing worth living for. But we get so distracted by so many other things. What does life living worthy of the gospel look like? He says it. Stand together. Be of one spirit, of one purpose. Fighting together. Not fighting against each other. Fight together so the good news gets out to the world. Not fight against each other because our opinions, we believe and we're so strong on those opinions. Sometimes we get so busy fighting over our differences, which only affect here, that the gospel gets forgotten, which affects everything else. And that's the simple reason why I want to share about it today, because it said that other prisoners are watching. People are watching, and what they actually need is the gospel. They don't need to know how many people stand for this or how many people stand for this. It's okay to fight for the rights. It's okay to stand for something as long as the gospel isn't lost in the, in the battle. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Don't allow your life's focus to be all about you. It requires intentionality. We really have to be intentional for this to happen. Every part of us growing up, it just starts with the kids. You look at kids, we're born that way. I want mine, it's mine, me, me. My house is full of fights like that. You know, Beth and I, and then sometimes the kids too. You know, I, it's me, it's mine, it's, it's all what I want. But he said, don't allow your life's focus to be all about you. Resist the temptation to think it's all about me. You, you're here for gr- something greater. He says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, how many of you are encouraged that you belong to Christ? Have you found encouragement? How many of you it says, would find, have found comfort in his love? Anybody? Mm-hmm. How many of you have found fellowship together in the spirit? You don't have family that loves you, but you got family that loves you. Like, how come these people love me? They shouldn't, you know, but because of Christ, we love you. He says, you know, how many have hearts that are tender and compassionate? Because God has done something. He says, if that's all true, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another. Um, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. He keeps pointing this thing out. Be one, be one. Don't allow division. He says, that's not what this is about. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also take an interest in others too. You know, he says the reason to work together for the gospel is the reason. It's him. It really wasn't about whether people deserve it, whether we need to be right. It's the reason we work for the gospel is is those others that are watching. And he's writing to followers of Christ. For those of you who say, well, that other side, they're just so, they're just so uh, hard-headed, and they're just, they, they put their side, he didn't write it to them. <laughs> he wrote it to you, and he wrote it to me. He wrote it to followers of Jesus Christ, saying, hey, he says, I want you to think this way. You know, we often want others, we often want our way simply because we want others to think like us. We want them to think like us because that's more comfortable for us. We want them to change their behavior so that it's more comfortable for us. It really has very little to do with them. It's much more to do with how it affects me. We want them to modify their behavior for our sakes. And Paul says, I want you to think of them as better than yourselves. And like, well, Mark, that's really depressing. You know, we go around thinking everyone is better than me, like 7 billion people, and I'm the lowest on the totem pole. I'll do that. Just give me the money for a shrink that I'm going to need every single day depressing, you know, I'm nobody. He's not saying that. He's saying this. He's saying, would you look at every person that ever you see, that every person that you meet has value? 
that that person is valuable. You know, uh, and, and a few weeks ago, I told the story of how I went shopping at Talese, and I'll just, you know, many of you have reminded me of this story, so thanks for that, because now I remembered it. But, um, you know, as I went to Talese, and as I came out of there, this lady almost ran me over, and she yells out, get off your phone, you jerk. You remember that story? And then I yelled to them, I'm a person. Yes, I know. Some of you are like, why would you yell that? That did absolutely nothing. And you're right. It did absolutely nothing. I'm a person. But if you hear that for the first time, okay, well, I, I, I remember that. So it's okay. Um, you know, this idea of I'm a, I'm a person. But you know what? I think Paul's saying, what if we looked at everybody and realized that behind every issue, there's somebody shouting, I'm a person. That all the ones who march and all the ones who are like up in arms and all the things that make us want to do the same thing is simply shouting out, I'm a person. What would it look like if we realized that, that behind each issue is a person, not just a person, an eternal person, an eternal person of incredible value to your heavenly father? What would it look like if we realized that that Muslim refugee is a person that is of incredible value to our heavenly father What would it look like if we realized that the president south of the border is a person that Christ died for? What if we realized that our prime minister and our premier are people that God loves incredibly and have incredible value to him? What if we realized that the unborn child is a person that God loves incredibly? What if we realized Also, that that pregnant woman who's considering ending her pregnancy is a person that God loves incredibly. What if we realize that that man or that woman who struggles with same-sex attraction is a person that's incredibly valuable to your Heavenly Father? What if we realize that that man or woman who follows another faith whether they're Mormons, whether it's Islam, whether it's Catholic or different denominations of Christian even, or atheists. What if we realize that they are a person of incredible value to our Heavenly Father? What about that student at your school gets bullied all the time? And what about the one on the other side who's the bully? What if we realize that both of them are a person that your Heavenly Father loves incredibly? What if the person on the other end of your Facebook conversation or that the person on the other end of your blog or around the lunchroom table that you get all heated up in arms about where you guys stand on different things. What if you realize that that's a person that has incredible and eternal value to your Heavenly Father? What if we were more concerned about their soul than their behavior? Because for some of us, we just want to be right and we want... You know, we want them to do what we want them to do. But the only way they can do that is if they have the gospel. We can't expect people to change their behavior if they don't have the life-changing Savior living on the inside of them. And so we fight over rights and we argue and we take our stance on things we feel so strongly about. And something gets lost. And that's something so, so important. And it actually has eternal consequences. And I'm not just talking about tolerance, because it's okay to fight for things as long as the good news, the actual thing that can change lives, lives for eternity, does not get lost. And Paul says, you know what? He just says to us, he's like, I'm not writing this to you so you'll be more like me. 
He's I'm not writing that, you know, you'd be more like Paul. He's saying this, and I just leave this with you. He says, here's why I do it, and here's where I think you should. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says this, you. He writes to them in Philippi and to us too. He says, you, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's not about, it's not about which side is right. It's not even about Paul being right versus wrong. He's saying, if it's going to be about anyone, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think equality of God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. You know, as our guide, as our leader, as our savior, Jesus, being God, had rights over this planet. We all know that. You have rights over what you create. It's called copyrights. You know, if you made it, you can do with it what you want, right? That's what we, that's what we feel. He, didn't, he, he could have done whatever he wanted with this planet. But he says, you know what, he came and he didn't think that being God, having divine, um, everything that divinity uh, had for him, he didn't think that was something that he had to hold on to. He laid that down to come for us. That he valued us, that he did exactly what Paul's saying. He saw us not as better than himself, obviously we weren't, but that we were valuable, that you were valuable, so valuable that he came for you. And he came to this plan and then it says this, that he was... Um, in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross. He laid down his life for us. We know it. And it says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His desire would be that every person would come to know the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. My challenge for you is let's not allow that to get lost in what we want that I want to be right, that it's all about here, that it's all about this. There's something much more, much more important. So here's my last questions for you to take with you as you go. You don't have to answer them right here, and maybe they're not for you. I'm fully aware of that. This is something that God's doing in my life, and so as I share that out with you, here's the questions I would ask. If there were things today that made your blood boil... Thoughts you heard, you're just like, ugh, if this wasn't a one-sided conversation, I would tell him. I had those things too. Would you ask Holy Spirit why that is in you? What is it about that that gets your blood boiling? Other questions this morning. Are there opinions and rights that you're holding on to that are distracting from you sharing the gospel? Are there things that because you stand for something that's so right that it hinders you sharing the truth of the gospel? Are you more concerned about being right than what is right? Are you fighting against others? Or are you fighting together that the gospel might be shown forth? Are you, are you living your life mostly concerned about this? Or are you living your life in light of the gospel and how it affects eternity? Some things for us to think about. I know what he's doing in my life and where he's taking me in this journey. But as I think about the others around us watching us, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you came here and, and for you, there's a decision that you need to make. That you realize you've just been living for this. And I want to tell you something that if maybe you're here and like, I got a whole lot of ugliness in my past. Can I tell you that you're safe here? You're safe here? That there's a God who loves you so much he sent his son to give you a pardon for all that stuff that's behind you. And you can just receive that and live life differently. And that eternity will look different for you simply because of a choice to believe and receive what Jesus did for you. You can do that this morning.
Would you join me as we pray? Father, <laughs> thank you for what you're doing in my life. I thank you for your word that just awakens things inside of us. Uh, Lord, I know you've called us to be salt and light on this planet, that, uh, that we would shine brightly for you. So I pray that you help us to have clarity in our minds and, and in our hearts to follow your leading in our lives, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for the people around us that are, that are watching, those that don't know you, and we pray for them. Lord, they might see you in our lives. <laughs> as we, uh, yeah, for me, I guess, Father, as I walk this out, thank you that you walk with me. And for others, too, that we don't leave you uh, here in this building, but that you're with us each and every moment. So we have opportunity this week to show your goodness and shine your light. I pray, I pray that you give us the courage to do that, to trust in you, to walk with you, to share you with our world. Lord, I thank you for this incredible family. I pray your blessing over them today as they uh, go from this place. Uh, thank you for the chance to do some life with them together this morning. It's in your amazing name, Father, for your glory, for you. Thanks for doing what you did for us. We go in your name. Amen.